It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Paramedics do the incredible. They help save lives. And so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that may give your kid's music teacher the chance to see your son play in the season opener or give your mechanic the chance to give his best man speech. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and receive up to $1,000 your first month. Varies by location and is subject to change. This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. Attention homeowners, due to upcoming government regulations, the current energy efficiency ratings for HVAC systems will change. Current inventory cannot be sold after December 31st. As the year 2023 starts, customers can expect to pay an average of 30% more for a new HVAC unit that will meet the new government regulations. So what does this mean for you, the customer? There's no better time to purchase a new HVAC system. AAA Heating and Air must empty their warehouse to make room for the new systems. No deals will be turned down. With their 15-year parts and labor warranty plus guaranteed financing, they have made it possible for anyone to get a new system. Call today and enjoy your new home comfort as quickly as tomorrow. But you can only get this special deal by calling 803-677-1500. AAA Heating and Air wants to give you their best deal possible on a new HVAC unit, but you have to call today. 803-677-1500. And tell them you heard about this deal on 107.5 The Game's Gamecock Central Podcast. AAA Air when you need us. AAA Heating and Air. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen with Pearson Fowler. This has been in the works for a while. We're really excited to officially have the Gamecock Central Hour. Chris Clark. And J.J. has accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl already, which is awesome, uh, the Reese's Senior Bowl. And Wes Mitchell. Um, I think he's well above 200 into like a 210 range. Uh, a dude in the weight room, too, like from a strength standpoint. On the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. Game. Three minutes after 11 o'clock on a Wednesday morning, and welcome in to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour here on 107.5 The Game. Pearson, Preston, Wes, Chris here with you in the Herndon Chevy studios of 107.5 The Game. It is Wednesday. We heard from Shane Beamer yesterday, as well as a few South Carolina players on the upcoming Kentucky game, and we are full steam ahead. Looking forward to the Gamecocks and the Wildcats coming up this Saturday. An extremely important matchup, really, for both teams, especially now that Kentucky has dropped an SEC game to Ole Miss. South Carolina looking for their first conference win. Kentucky looking to bounce back. And, of course, South Carolina, a little bit of extra juice for this uh, Kentucky game, considering how often the Wildcats have uh, beaten Carolina of late. Still still something that Carolina fans seem collectively mystified by. But we'll continue to break down some of the intriguing matchups for this game in just a minute. But first, I want to give you a chance to win some money. It's time for your chance to win $100 and qualify for the $25,000 grand prize in our $25,000 signing bonus contest. Just text the following national keyword to 95819. Your national keyword to text is... Work. W-O-R-K. Work. W-O-R-K. Work, 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 work. 
Text that national keyword to 95819. Standard text messaging rates may apply. Please don't text and drive. The $25,000 signing bonus contest on 107.5 The Game. Wes, Chris, how's it going? Wes, this is day three of you not wearing a Braves jersey. What's going on? Sometimes uh, you, it, it just speaks for itself. Hmm. You don't. You don't have to. You don't have to celebrate division titles. Well, it made sense when you, you went came it every in Monday. Year. You swept the Mets. I was like, well, you swept the Mets. You should wear one now. Uh, and you were like, no, not until the job's done. And the job wasn't done yesterday. The job is done today. The Braves have officially clinched the NL East. And and I mean, you're repping your brand here. Got a nice on three T-shirt. I just zero for three on the Braves gear. I, I partially. I did think about that, and then I wore this just to see if it would bother you or if you would bring it up. But it doesn't um, bother me. I am going to bring it up, though. Yeah, so I don't know, man. Maybe maybe we'll celebrate with another title. Hmm. I think it could happen. I really do. Like, fandom aside, this team really could win the World Series again. Well, they're, I mean, they're playing better now than they were this time last year, right? Yeah, they're, they're a better team, yeah. objectively, than they were last year so we'll see also um i did listen to some of the show riding in really today and i was enjoying wow. the analytics versus uh or nerds versus old school <laughs> conversation yeah well we got i think three nerds in here at risk of speaking for no that's that's fine <laughs> i'm i'm wait three out of four or yeah, three, yeah, three out this, of four who's not huh preston oh, i'm I'm, much, I'm a little more <laughs> Preston's a music nerd. He's not a football. Ooh, well, he's a little bit of a football yeah. nerd, but not not a new age football nerd. He's an old school football nerd. I'm, I'm Water's not, bad for you. I'm not all in on the analytics. I'm. I think they're a great resource. Yeah. Um, but I think you should go for fourth downs just because you should go for fourth downs <laughs> and not because the numbers say. Like, I think you should go for fourth down because it's what the other defense doesn't want you to do. And I think your entire game plan, every second of every game of every season, should be do what the other team doesn't want you to do, right? Yeah. What What are they sitting over there saying? I hope they don't do this. That That's what you know. And I think the numbers may say, the analytics may say, hey, it's fourth and one. You should go for this. If your offense stinks, you actually probably should not go for it. Like, that's a great mm. way to put yourself in a bad spot. <laughs> okay. Like, uh, if, to me, if I, if I had an offense that can go up and down the field, I, like, if I'm the Chiefs and I have Patrick Mahomes, I don't know if I would ever punt. Because Fourth it, and eight on your own 22, go for it. But here's the thing about that. If you know you're going for it on fourth down, your play calling on third down and then even back to second down is actually completely different than if you were looking at, if you're looking at at it like, all right, I have three downs to get a first down, and then I'm going to make a decision on fourth down. Mm-hmm. Even that is a different thing than I have four downs to get a first down. I hear that, and we've heard that from the coaching staff. It came up in the Georgia game. In fact, the infamous now to carry on joiner play, Shane Beamer told us after the game they had decided to go for it on fourth down there. So they ran a play on third down to get some yards, they did pick up yards on that play. I think it was three of them on a third and six or a third and eight, and they still decided to punt. So I I get what you're saying, and I do hear that a lot. I kind of reject that, though, because then it's like, I'm going to call a play on third down that's designed to not pick up the first down, and I don't like that. But no, you're, you're not calling a play that is designed 
if if you're looking at it that way, and by the way, I I don't think they were they weren't going to go for it on that uh, Joiner run. I think he was referring to there was a couple of plays around the forty or like the mm. fringe field goal range, okay. and they ran Marshawn Lloyd, and I think one or two of them got stuffed, and people were like, "Well, what are you doing there?" I, I think here's the thing: if if you run it into a stack box, which I, I don't remember what the defense was in on those particular occasions. I'm more talking in general. Mm. If if it's third and seven and the defense is playing you to 100% throw and you know I'm going for it on fourth down, you can catch them with a run there with two safeties back or maybe they have a bunch of DBs on the field. Mm. It gives you that added advantage. And, you know, I think we see teams go to the, like, you know, throw a little quick draw in there on, on third and long. It used to be like, oh, it's third and 15. We're going to run a draw and punt. Um, I think it just gives you an advantage as far as play calling goes. <clears throat> couple things. Is there any worse feeling as a fan when it's third and 15 and you as a fan know that the screen is coming? And they run a screen and they're successful. And it's like, we knew this is the only play they was going to run in that actually works. That's one thing. Two, punting was actually the dork thing to do at one time. It was the analytics, huh. right? Because all the dorks got around and said, instead of going for it here, let's punt the ball, see if we can flip the field and play some field position mumbo jumbo. So that's what the dorks wanted to do mm-hmm. at one time. Three, going back to... Good old old school football. You run the wing T offense. Mm-hmm. You run the ball on first down, you get three yards. Mm-hmm. And then you run it on second down, you get three yards. And then you run it on third down, you get three yards. And then you run it on fourth down, and you get three yards. And that's a first down. So there are, there, I mean, even old school coaches at one time knew, like, hey, we're just going to run three yards in a cloud of dust. It will pick up two yards on fourth down, and mm-hmm. we'll just do it again. Yeah. So that's that Chuck Klosterman short story. It was a guy who was like a he was like a clockmaker, and he was using centripetal force to generate, you know, exactly three point three yards per play. So you're going to get a first down mm-hmm. no matter what. And, and it's we, we talked about that last week, but uh, another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I, I also think Wes is right. If your offense is not good, don't go for it on fourth down. I think maybe the analytics does miss that a little bit. Well, and I, I wonder, do the analytics miss the other side of, like, how how much of it is just purely mathematical in that it's not taking into account if you're playing, especially if you're playing a conservative team and you punt the ball and pin them deep, mm-hmm. how differently is your opponent's offensive play calling? We've all seen coaches pin back and they get super conservative because they're so worried to make a mistake yeah. backed up against their own sneak, goal QB line. Sneak, QB sneak punt. And then they punt it back to you, and you have the ball first down right back where you were before. And yeah. you're like, oh, that was a great decision. Um, but if I'm playing a great offense, I'm also, you know, I, I don't know how much of these things analytics takes into, yeah. uh, you know, if, if I'm playing a great offense, I'm like, 
I I don't want to give them the ball back, no matter where on the field we are. Right. But if you're playing Jimmy Garoppolo or Dan Orlovsky, you know you're going to get spotted two points there if you pin them deep. <laughs> Step out of the back of the end zone. You know who we need to to do some, like, guinea pig testing on some of our analytics here is Iowa. We can't make oh. fun of Andy's offense oh, anymore this year. Yeah. Iowa is really, really bad <laughs> on offense. Yep. They they have risen uh, out of 131 FBS teams. They did move up a spot. They're oh, wow. 130 now. Okay. Yeah, thanks to some fourth quarter yardage they got against mm-hmm. Michigan. And here's an amazing stat. Uh, they haven't scored a touchdown in the first half. Half, not quarter. Talked a lot about the first quarter here. Haven't scored a touchdown in the first half of its last five Big Ten games. And in those games, this is according to Pat Forty, in those five games, Iowa's defense and special teams have scored as many touchdowns as the offense. Five Sounds like the Carolina Panthers. So, so when we're thinking about analytics, the punt on first down for Iowa might be a yeah. decent uh, a decent strategy. That the defense might be is pretty a, good. That might be a genuinely atrocious offense. Just don't punt it off the backside of your personal protector. That's true. Like did, like the Dolphins did. Oh, I missed a couple weeks ago. There, there's an Iowa shirt floating around that says "punting his offense," and I think I might have to try and get that. <laughs> I did have another. Remember how you're talking about Baker Mayfield? Get I don't remember if it's on air or just in here. And you're talking about how he, you know, set the record for passes batted down at yeah. the line of like scrimmage. It, as an actual stat, not me exaggerating. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, I had somebody else bring that up to me the other day. They're like, every pass gets batted down. It, it was hilarious. Yeah, the ones that don't so are also snaps that he fumbles, which also <laughs> happens. Right. That was the other part amount. of it. Amazing. Incredible. <laughs> um, Wes, though, asked a really, really important question, one that has to be the foundation of our conversation about Carolina's game plan every single week. What does Kentucky not want South Carolina to do on offense this week? 803-404-6100. Love Chevy phone line, text line. Get all of us on Twitter, at Pearson Fowler, at Coach B Tweets, at West Mitchell GC, at GC Chris Clark. Tell us, what is Kentucky afraid of Carolina doing offensively this coming Saturday? It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. 11-19 on a Wednesday morning. Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Pearson, Preston, Wes, Chris here with you in the Herndon Chevy Studios at 107.5 The Game. Talking Carolina, Kentucky. The game of the year. Carolina back uh, pretty much as healthy as they're going to be for the rest of the year. Darius Rush, Dylan Wanham, David Spaulding. Everybody that's been banged up for the last couple of weeks seems like they are back in full go for South Carolina. Meanwhile, Kentucky dealing with a couple of injuries. Jacquez Jones out. Is he up for the season? Was it an ACL for him, Jacquez Jones? Last I saw, definitely out this week and um, was not known yet how severe. I can't remember. Point is, Jacquez Jones, big playmaking linebacker for Kentucky, is going to miss the game. That's a big loss for them. South Carolina getting healthy seemingly um, at the right time. So how much will that be a factor Um, remains to be seen, but certainly worth keeping your eye on. Uh, But before the break, Wes asked a fantastic open-ended question. We were talking about going forward on fourth down. You know, what do you want to go forward on fourth down? What does the defense want you to do? Do they want you to go forward on fourth down? Then you should probably punt. Are they afraid of you going for it? You should go for it. Do what the opposing defense doesn't want you to do. Wes said, what is Kentucky worried about Carolina doing? Jay in the text line says, Kentucky is afraid of nothing from Carolina's offense. Okay, that's one thought. Uh, Ted, Says Kentucky does not want Carolina to have an effective passing game between 
the hashes. Says if they do that, everything else opens up as Carolina wins the football game. I think that's a very interesting answer. That hasn't been a, yeah, Cam Smith, here we go. Um, Passing between the hashes has not been a big part of Carolina's offense, and I can't figure out why. I'm not going to try to figure it out today. I'll just move along. Wes, Chris, Preston, whoever wants to go first. What is what is Kentucky afraid of Carolina doing offensively? I I think being able to run the football and consistently move the chains. And, and I'll take that out. Not even run the football. Just move the chains consistently. Because what does Kentucky want to do? They want to be able to control things. They've had some turnover issues of their own. You don't want South Carolina to figure things out. And Kentucky, honestly, would probably be fine if South Carolina hits a couple explosive plays, right? That's what they did against Arkansas. They hit some explosive plays to either score or get themselves into scoring position. Mm -hmm. But they turned the football over too much, and they were at times unable to sustain drives. So if you're Kentucky and Spencer Rattler hits a couple deep balls or Marshawn Lloyd breaks off a a 50-yarder, you don't like that, but you can live with it. And I do think that's important for South Carolina. They, in my estimation, have not shown that they can go up and down the field on quality competition yet, mm-hmm. Georgia, Arkansas. So I do think they're going to have to rely on explosive plays. But I think for Kentucky, they want to be able to play their own game, control things, play defense, have Will Levis make some plays, run the football, especially with Rodriguez back. They want to force South Carolina to rely on explosives. So if the Gamecocks can get into a rhythm where they're moving the chains – they're not needing to rely on explosive plays. That is a great result for South Carolina, not so much for Kentucky. Okay. I like that. That was a great answer. I don't I don't have anything to add to that. Wes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Spencer Rattler getting into a rhythm um and sort of looking like the guy we all, you know, thought and think he can be. Um you know, whatever that means specifically as far as the actual throws, I don't know. But just, I think looking over there and being like, wow, this kid is dialed in. And that, in turn, probably opens up a lot of other things. I, I think if, if Rattler is in rhythm, making all the throws, spreading the ball around, um, you know, that probably opens up room for Marshawn Lloyd. Ultimately, I, I think that's what Carolina wants to do. And I think that's what Kentucky probably does They doesn't. want to use the pass to set up the run rather than vice versa? Yeah, well, I I think that's almost what they have to be, hmm. uh, personally. And I, I think Lloyd, Lloyd is probably, that's a roundabout way of saying Lloyd is probably the guy right now that maybe scares you the most from the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's more based on probably the totality of the Rattler we've seen uh, this season. Right. I, I think if they look across and they're like, Rattler is in control, um has upped his game. You know, I think we saw it a little bit the last two weeks, but I don't know if that translates over to SEC defenses. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to me, if, if they're looking over there saying seven is balling out right now, then that's probably a scary thought. But I don't know what that looks like from, like, a play-calling standpoint as far as what does Kentucky not want South Carolina to do. So you kind of gave an answer there. It sounds like if you if Kentucky has one guy in a special jersey – it's number one, not zero, three, or seven. Is that would y'all think so as well? Right, right now, yeah, I do, and I, I still, I, I think 
they have got to find a way to get Jaheim Bell more involved, uh, more involved in the passing game. And, you know, it, it just has not happened to this point. But um, for for right now, based on what we've seen so far in five games, I think one, Marshawn Lloyd, is your guy on South Carolina's offense. I said this to Preston earlier. I think Marshawn probably needs double-digit touches in the first quarter, assuming Carolina gets two or three possessions. I just feel like that has to be the focal point because I, I I think I agree. Kentucky's not afraid of Jaheim Bell right now. He's not been very productive this season. He hasn't even gotten on the field. I think he's. Only, I need to go back and double check this. I think he has only played more than twenty snaps once this season. He hasn't even been on the field that much. So Kentucky's not worried about that. You're right. Spencer has not had a very good season. He's turned the ball over a lot, even if all those haven't necessarily been his fault, and he hasn't made the impact in the passing game that a lot of people were expecting. Um, and and Juice. Yeah, whether it is juice or whether it is a product of the offense, floats in and out. Like he'll have a big quarter and then he disappears. He's he's not a focal point for whatever reason. So I, I agree that it's probably got to be number one. Now the the question then is, how number one? Do you just hand him the ball? Is it the screen game? Is it you know otherwise getting him involved in the short passing game? We saw Carolina split Marshawn Lloyd out wide a lot. That was how he scored a touchdown against Georgia State on just like a quick little hitch. What's the best way to utilize Marshawn Lloyd against Kentucky? I mean, my immediate answer is all of the above. Um, to, to me, Marshawn is at his best, uh, you know, when you do get him out there in space. And, you know, the screen game is what I immediately think of, but you're kind of beholden to the defense of what they're doing and uh, what they're doing to take that away and, and their play calling and their personnel as well. You're not always going to be able to call it like you did against Arkansas where there's just all this space out there for him. So I feel like get the guys in space is like it's easy for us to sit here on the radio. Uh, It's harder to actually call it and put the defense in a bind and and have the call on at the right time and and all those things. And that's a little bit tougher against the traditional Kentucky defense because they kind of just sit there Mm -hmm. and they beat you up where you are. They read read and react instead of putting a lot of extra pressure. So the screen game may not be as um, effective against a team that doesn't pressure as much. Yeah, that's a good point. And again, Carolina just in general has not been effective at springing screens. They've had a couple this year, which is probably more than they had all of last year. But it feels like for every screen that Carolina successfully runs, there's one that gets blown up for one reason or another. Uh, Spencer Rattler has actually thrown more screen passes than any other quarterback in the SEC this year. I was saying, I, I think they've been Good. far better at screens this year than they ever were last year. I mean, you had you scored another touchdown off of one against SC State mm-hmm. to Marshawn. So um, it seemed like all last year, I mean screenplays were dead in the water like yeah. it just was yeah. not hitting yeah. um there's nothing i don't think there's anything negative in that development if, if they're throwing a lot of i mean you want to be able to do more than that right mm-hmm. but if they're successfully executing screens whether it's receiver or running back i mean i seriously don't know I'm not trying to be hyperbolic i don't know if they completed a receiver screen last year they may have Wes, I'll, I'll I, say I, I don't know if they completed know. one for positive yards because I bet somebody caught one. There are a lot the of them that were just incomplete. Yeah, too. Yeah, running back screens, running back screens. Or yeah, you said receiver screen, but run, run. Yeah, running back screen. I, I, I don't know. It the timing last year on running back it screens just, it was, was not there. Was yeah. off. There've been a couple of other issues. I, I think the running back screen game is fine. I if Carolina didn't run another wide receiver screen this whole season, I think it would be 
I think it would be better for the offense. Well, I, I think they're going to have to execute some of that, though. You know, I, I mean, do you want it to be 75% of your offense or as many as they've thrown? No. And, I mean, I, I will be interested to see how many do they run percentage-wise versus, say, Kentucky than they did mm-hmm. as they did the past couple weeks. Mm-hmm. It's more simple play. They kept it more simple. But they are going to have to execute that. I mean, you need to be able to, if somebody's playing off coverage, you need to be able to throw a five-yard little, let's dink it out there and get five yards. So Spencer Rattler threw 27 passes against SE State. Y'all might already know this, but do you want to guess how many of those passes were at or behind the line of scrimmage? I'll guess uh, 18. Wow. Well, 17 were at or behind the line Dang of scrimmage. It, I was going to say 17. And 19 were within two yards of the line of scrimmage. I almost pulled a Wes with like the exact yeah. number. But ni- 19 of 27 passes that are essentially not down the field. There were two that were technically past the line of scrimmage, but only a yard or two. And one, one pass attempt between the hash marks. Yeah, see, I'd be curious to see how that breaks out against the other teams. I don't, I don't take a lot away from the SC State game on that. I really don't. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. It's it's fair to take it away too. I just I don't um just because of what they were doing. So. All right. 803-404-6100. Love Chevy phone line, text line. Get all of us on Twitter at Pearson Fowler, at Coach P tweets at West Mitchell GC and at GC Chris Clark. More thoughts on how you think Carolina should attack Kentucky or maybe most importantly, what is Kentucky afraid of Carolina doing? On Saturday, y'all let us know. In the meantime, we'll uh, listen to Shane Beamer's thoughts from yesterday. He talked about the death chart. We talked about the death chart a lot yesterday. Shane Beamer gave a very, uh, he, he gave a long answer, at least. An answer that is much longer than they report to even talk about the death charts amongst themselves. So we'll see what Shane Beamer had to say about Carolina's new two deep next. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. 11.36, Wednesday morning, and welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Pearson, Preston, Wes, Chris, here with you in the Herndon Chevy Studios of 107.5 The Game. Talking Carolina, Kentucky. A lot about some of the... uh, well, some of the matchups, of course, uh, with a lot of focus on the Wildcats, we want to turn our attention collectively back to South Carolina. We talked extensively on this show yesterday about the depth chart. Some would say too much, maybe unnecessarily so. Maybe the coaches don't mean as much by it as we interpret. Some of it's just fun, at least for me. Hope it is for you guys. But Shane Beamer was asked about it and gave a fairly long, in-depth answer. And I, This is a little bit longer than what we normally play on this show, but... Since Shane Beamer took the time to say all these words, figured it was worth it to let you guys hear him. This is what he had to say about the depth chart. Uh, a lot of it is how quickly can I get Steve Fink out of my office when he comes in here and says any changes to the depth chart. Um, let me just throw an or in there this week to make to make Fink happy. Um, no, a little bit. Um no, I think a lot of it is I try and be as, you know, forthcoming as possible. But I but I do think that, you know, Cam Smith may line up different places each week or or uh, an offensive tackle may be different each week. I don't know how much of an advantage if that's the case on and that that to 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 be totally I don't want to say honest, but to put guys exactly where they're going to be lining up if there are changes to the lineup. I think that is something there's a strategic advantage where you're smart about it as well. But, you know, for the most part on there, I mean, what 
what's reality is what we put on there. And um, um, I think this week we changed an, an or with Tonka Hemingway and some of the D linemen. And a lot of that, a lot of those ors, Gene, really are because I feel like we have multiple starters. Like if you look at our defensive tackles, I mean, those guys are rotating. We're playing about six defensive tackles. So to me, we've got four starters and then we've got kind of the next couple with with TJ Sanders and Nick Barrett and uh, just kind of reflecting that a little bit better. Um, but it's nothing. I mean, we communicate with guys individually on the team if there are any depth chart changes because we talk about competition here all the time so we're we're constantly competing things aren't set in stone um but it's not like i take the put the depth chart up in the team meeting on tuesday morning and say okay here's the changes just so everybody knows i mean we communicate that with individuals and, and they know as well and a lot of that too the other thing too is steve usually asked me that on sunday night and a lot of times on sunday night we really haven't made a decision as a staff on exactly what, you know, we may, we may be doing this week because at that point on Sunday night, we're just coming off the game from the day before. We haven't really dove into the next opponent yet. And a lot of those decisions are made on, um, on Mondays as well. Not that we don't update it because I will if there are updates, but I hope that answers your question. So yeah, I think from a, from a depth chart standpoint, but us overall personnel with our team, we're constantly competing. You're evaluated every single day on what you do in practice and what you do on the field on Saturdays. And to me, your depth chart, uh, who's playing, should uh, should respect should reflect that. And we tell our players that all the time. That I don't care if you're a six year senior that's been a starter for three straight years. Like you better keep competing because there's other guys behind you that are continuing to try and get better. And we don't want anybody getting complacent around here. You ever do any theater? Yes. Yes? Yes. So you know that moment. They post the cast, usually on the door of the director's office, and everyone runs over to see where they got cast. That's what I was imagining when he said, you know, posting the depth chart in the meeting room on a on a Tuesday morning. Everyone says, oh, am I going to be playing this week? <laughs> that's a real thing. Really? Yeah, that, that that's a real thing. Huh. You go there, look at, check the charts, and you'd be like, man, I am on the second team this week. Yeah. <laughs> or you might be like, man. I got an or. Yeah, there's a war of my name now. I've got an or. Man, <laughs> I guess I got to go to special teams practice today or something. Like that. Yeah, that that happens for sure. It's uh, interesting because last week, um, so the one we talked about a decent amount was the the Pickens Webb one, right? Mm-hmm. So Zach doubled doubled up MJ Webb snaps last game pretty much. I mean, Zach mm-hmm. had 40, which led the D line, and uh, MJ Webb had 19. Mm-hmm. And then for the season, Zach's played the fourth most defensive snaps out of anyone. Played 237. MJ Webb has 131. Uh, Nick Emmonwari, number one on that list. <laughs> Jordan Birch, <laughs> number two. Ooh, close. Birch is three. Birch is three. Mm hmm. Number two, I wouldn't have guessed. Brad Johnson? Nope. That's, he's number six. That was, that was a good guess. Ah. I've given too many guesses. Marcella style. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Makes the sense. only DB that's not been banged up, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> pretty much right. So, I mean, Eamon Ori, well, Eamon Ori had to leave the Georgia game for a while. Right, and he wasn't a starter. Cam Smith missed a game. Darius missed two. Devonnie yep. Reed missed part of a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. D.Q. So Smith, number seven. Mm-hmm. So what did he say? Hmm. Uh, well, just by virtue of a long answer, I took away that they think about it a lot. And, and more than they want to let on. I don't know why they don't want to let on that they think about it a lot, but he acknowledged that it means something. Um, as much as he likes to make light of it. 
I, I that's what I can't figure out. What well, if if it is important and he believes in it, he's like the depth chart should reflect what happens in the game. Why 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 try to be so dismissive so consistently of what they put out in the two deep? Why don't they want people to read into it if they clearly make these decisions intentionally? Because he could just must champ it. It's like Dylan won him out for the season, still listed as the starting defensive end. It's like okay, that's not helpful. That's my takeaway. You don't have one. I I stopped listening. Okay, it was like that, <laughs> it was it was a short answer, and he gave a paragraph. I was like, right, what was where? Let's go. Okay, he kind of started getting there towards the end, but that probably should have been the first sentence. Yeah, Wes, what'd you take away? I I don't I don't know. <laughs> Chris, bell us out here. <laughs> I, I'll I'll give. My answer that annoys people. I, I I think he was trying to say that just a lot of things go into it. That you don't you don't need to take it because he said they do it on Sunday night. So they just finished the game. You know they've just gone in. They've graded the game the day before. They've done corrections, all that type of stuff. And so some of it's based off that. Some of it's probably based on health right after the game. But a lot of times they don't know. They don't know on a Sunday. Hmm. If a questionable guy is going to play the next week, okay. you got Absolutely. no idea. Very true. So, you, so you're probably going to keep him there. So I think he's trying to say, don't take a depth chart that's done on Sunday and it's released on what? Normally Tuesday, you have your calendar set, Pearson, for <laughs> it, like you said. And and don't take it as like the absolute gospel. But they're also, they also do put more effort into it. They attempt to put some level of effort into it rather than, like you said, <laughs> listing a guy who's done as a starter. Yeah. So that's what I took away. Just okay. make make something of it. Don't make too much of it. Yeah. I, I guess I definitely make too much of it. No, that's fine. That's, fine. that's fair. But also I would love for anybody, whenever somebody says, did I answer the question? I would love for the reporter to be like, no. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah. Well, hopefully that answers some question that you have for, uh, for some of you listening. Maybe I just wasted all of your time. Maybe I wasted all your time yesterday talking about it for as long as we did. Um, but, well, I guess we'll see how it plays out on Saturday. Uh, have any of the dynamics change again, especially up front. A uh, big piece of uh, piece of information that I'll be eager to see on Saturday. 803-404-6100. Any more thoughts that you guys have on Carolina and Kentucky? would love to hear them in the Love Chevy phone line or in the text line. And get us on Twitter at Pearson Fowler, at Coach P Tweets, at West Mitchell GC, and at GC Chris Clark. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. Eleven forty-nine on a Wednesday morning. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour here on 107.5 The Game. Pearson, Preston, Wes, Chris here with you in the Herndon Chevy studios of 107.5 The Game. Appreciate you making us a part of your morning. Uh, plenty more on Carolina, Kentucky throughout the course of the day here and the next couple days. Plenty of predictions on Friday. More matchups tomorrow. Um, since it's been kind of an extended Kentucky week, I'm trying to space out our kind of preview content. But I want to pick your brains on this. And it's still... I don't know. I'm so kind of workshopping this idea, but I've been thinking about uh, what's the what's the thing you use for genetics? Is that called a Punnett square? We have like the different outcomes with with all the X's and stuff. Are yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, that was like tenth grade biology or something. I don't know. That, that's that's what I'm imagining. I guess just in that you have like a you have three columns and two rows, and the rows represent a team, and the columns represent potential ways that the game could play out. So, for example, 
Like over here, you have like a Carolina blowout this weekend. And over here, you have a Kentucky blowout. And then on the left, you have like Carolina wins a close game. And over here, you have Kentucky wins a close game. And then you have, you know, Carolina wins a kind of middle of the road game and Kentucky wins a middle of the road kind of game. How many of those boxes does, oh, go ahead. No, I, I think I, I, it clicked. You so, just saw the aha moment in the studio. Okay, okay, here. good. So which one of those boxes is Carolina checking and which one of those boxes is Kentucky checking? I like this question. Well, and I, I, I'll take it into uh, a lot of times when you have, if you look at the odds on a game, the line, uh, you know, it's a double digit. Kentucky is the favorite. Um, you know, I think, I don't know what it is right now. It's been everything from 10 all the way up to maybe 12 and a half, 13. I look at those lines normally percentage wise. It's like you would probably check South Carolina wins a close game as a possibility. Kentucky wins a close game as a possibility. Kentucky wins an intermediate game as a possibility. Um, depending on what you determine a blowout to be, you would maybe check that in Kentucky's direction. And then going back the other South Carolina way, you probably you probably would not be checking a South Carolina blowout mm-hmm. as a likely uh, chance and probably not a South Carolina, like, intermediate, medium-sized win Interesting. either. Um, now, that uh, you would have to define what those... See, that to me is the is the road. And, and again, like, I, I feel very good, and this is why I say I'm workshopping it, because, like, a blowout or, like, a high-scoring game is easy to think about. A close game is easy to think about. It's, it's harder for me to think about the, the sort of middle column, but I feel like in a close game, that favors Kentucky, not just because they're home, because they're they're they have a solid identity, they're a well coached team, they know who they are, and they have a track record of winning close games, especially against South Carolina. So to me, I'm looking at, and really I'm not looking at any of those three scenarios. Is like if I tell you that the game is close, I'm going to think it means Kentucky wins. If I tell you the game is a blowout, I'm going to think it's Kentucky blowing out South Carolina. If I tell you that it's like thirty four to twenty four, I still might tell you that's Kentucky. But to me, that feels like the road, the most likely road to South Carolina winning. I agree. I, I, I agree with that. I, I, there could be a path where South Carolina wins the game and because of who Kentucky is, it's sort of like a boring type of game, maybe a workman game, but they hit a couple of chunk plays, but nothing else really happens mm-hmm. throughout the game, and they sort of win it 20 to 10. Exactly what happened last year. 16 to 10, I think, right? But, so there is, I do think that that path is there. Yeah. Um, the idea of Kentucky blowout, I don't know if they have the offensive firepower to do that. Right. So, yeah, I guess that doesn't feel particularly likely for either one of these teams based on what we've seen from the offenses. But I guess I'm, I'm marrying this in my head with an idea that you suggested a couple weeks ago that I really like that every football game is played to a score. Like the idea of, you know, kind of first to whatever. But there is some, the winner of this game is probably not going to score in the 50s. The winner of this game is probably not going to score in the 40s based on what we've seen from each of these offenses. So what's the number and how does Carolina get there? How many points do they need to score to win? Yeah. Always like that question. Yep. If I, I think it's going to be fairly low scoring. I, I don't think either offense has showed us so far that they should be expected to go up and down the field. For some, you know, 24 points is like a good number for me. Like I, hmm. 
I, I think if if I definitely think if Carolina scores twenty eight points, they it feels like twenty a twenty eight to twenty four, a twenty four to twenty one, like somewhere. Maybe that's a wide range. I don't know. Um, it feels somewhere in there to me. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, even Ole Miss scored 22. Mm-hmm. Pretty good offense. Right. You know? And won. And won. Um, now, defensively, I think Wes made this point yesterday. That is not the 2020 Ole Miss defense. No. They have gotten a lot. Or their offense. Like they're, or their offense. Yeah, right. yeah, they're the number right. one rushing offense in the SEC right now. Yeah. Like 260 rushing yards a game. Interestingly, Kentucky, I was trying to, I wasn't sure about this, as far, their balance as far as between run pass. Y- y'all, give me this. St- Will Levis, 19 sacks. Has he been yeah. sacked 19 times? Yeah. Okay, so Kentucky. I mean, they have rushed the ball a little bit more than they've passed, but not a lot. They've got this 172 rushes versus 141 passes. But that's not sack adjusted. Mm-hmm. So take out 19 from 172. Yeah. Hey, consider Youngstown State. I'll just say Youngstown State and Miami of Ohio because they were that North, Northern Illinois game was a dogfight until the end, but two games where you're just kind of running up the clock there at the end. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of. I don't know. It's it's a little bit of a weird approach almost. Like they, to me, they have three wide receivers that are all like pretty good. Mm-hmm. But you throw it on and they're in a lot of two tight end sets. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're like lining up to run the football, but they haven't really run the football particularly well. Um, and then they throw it, um, you know, probably a little more than you would think. But it's not from like formations or personnel groups where you would maybe necessarily think it looks like an actual pro style offense like it looks like what i actually watch a lot of teams do on sunday yeah it, it is a decidedly which makes pro sense because rick Scangarello just came from the 49ers right yeah they huddle up i mean it's a little bit slow paced <laughs> and preston loves it Th- i mean this honestly could... what marcus satterfield has said he wants carolina to do yeah and i mean structurally it is it is very similar as far as big picture approach i think so this this may now obviously there can always be turnovers that like completely shift the scores um as far as score totals but this may be a lower scoring game just based on the fact both sides are going to huddle up go to the line of scrimmage shift motion change personnel groupings Uh, this is preston's favorite game of the year sounds (laughs) beautiful you know like there may not be Time yeah. to score <laughs> no, I, I, a I like bunch that. of points. I mean, limited possessions. Like teams, you know, now in football will get 11 or 12 usually a game. This could be in like an 8 to 10 possession kind of game. Possessions at a premium. Longer drives. Fewer chunk plays. Um, I like that. that. That's all we have time for today. But I want everyone to kind of, whatever your number is, and I think Wes is pretty close with 28. Maybe you feel like it's 24. Maybe you feel like it's, you know, 27, 31. I think somewhere in the neighborhood is right. So be thinking about that. We'll come back tomorrow and we'll talk a little bit more about what that would look like for South Carolina to put up the 24, 28, 27, however many you feel like is needed for the Gamecocks to get the upset win this weekend. That's all we have time for. As I mentioned, appreciate you all being a part of the show as always. For Wes, for Chris, for Preston, I am Pearson, and the Halftime Show is coming up next.
Come join TV's Ross Matthews every Thursday on his new podcast, Hello, Ross. Hi, I'm Ross Matthews, and I am so excited to tell you about my brand new podcast, Hello, Ross. You know, I, I just said that. Yeah, I know. I was just saying it again to emphasize the name of my new podcast. It's Hello, Ross. Look, you only have like 30 seconds to tell them about the new podcast, Hello, Ross. You have to tell them about the celebrity guests, the interesting people with cool stories to tell, and it's new every Thursday. Go ahead. You never know who's going to pop by to say, Hello, Ross. You could be an Oscar winner, the star of your favorite show, even my dental hygienist. Really? No, she's fascinating. Okay. Anyone else? One time I was at a dinner party and the lady across from me, turns out she was a dominatrix. Ooh, that's going to hurt. I've been a naughty boy. <laughs> huh. Are you going to ask? We're going to go there. For reals? And there. For real reals? You better stretch. I better stretch? What the hell? On our show, nothing's off limits. I'm going to ask that question. No. And that question. No. <laughs> and I'm going to get away with it. Oh, boy. So it's like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right? Except think of it, Mr. Matthews' Gaberhood. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. You know, that actually does sound fun. And it's on YouTube or wherever you listen. Wait, that's my line. Hello, Ross, available on YouTube or wherever you listen. Okay, now you just repeated me. We are so over our time limit. Oh, that's a bummer. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.